Hello and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm Brooke Jackson, your host for this episode. Today we have the honor of talking with author Carla Bergman. We're going to discuss parenting here in the end times. But first, we'd like to honor our membership in the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts by playing a little jingle from one of the other podcasts on the network. Jingle, 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 jingle here. I know the kind of pain you're feeling, Alex. I once had it myself. You some kind of doctor? No, Alex. I am Magneto, and I have come to offer you sanctuary. Hello, this is our jingle for our podcast, The Grounded Futures Show. This is the show where we discuss topics ranging from climate change to identity to how youth can gain new skills to thrive amid current and ongoing disasters that we are collectively facing. We are your hosts, one Gen Z Liam and one Gen X Carla. And we think we all deserve to thrive now and not in some distant utopian future. Yeah, but that's in the future. Oh, I hate the future. Yeah, we're with Bolin. Grounded Futures is a larger project, so check that out over at groundedfutures.com. And we're back. Carla, thank you for joining us today to talk about parenting. Um, Would you please introduce yourself? Let us know what you do, your pronouns, share where you're from if you're comfortable disclosing that. Great. Um, Hi, Brooke. Thanks for having me here. I love this podcast. Uh, It's a real honor. Yeah, I'm Carla Joy Bergman. I use she, uh, her, they, them pronouns. I'm calling in from Muscoom, Squamish, and Salatooth lands, also known as Vancouver in the Pacific Northwest, um, across the uh, border in Canada. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, well, I do a lot of things. I'm a bit of a autonomous uh, scholar, writer, producer, a podcaster, schemer, <laughs> causer of trouble, causer of, I don't know. It's always hard to put yourself on the like, what do you do? Um, yeah, I'm a mom, a friend. Um, I'm, uh, you're, I'm white settler with Irish and Welsh ancestry. Yeah. (laughs) Happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're really glad that um, you are here and taking the time to talk about um, this, uh, this topic with us today. Um, I know that you just released a book um, back in November uh, called Trust Kids, which um, looks like you can get from AK Press, and they have print, ebook, and audio book available. There's probably other sources that get it as well. Um, so I'd love to talk about your book a little bit, and then you know if that leads into some broader conversations about parenting in general, and especially you know, parenting here in the end times and how we support each other as leftists, you know, I think that would be great to talk about too. But let's, um, let's start with your book. I'm curious why you wanted to write the book. Like what inspired you to write it? (laughs) It's like uh, intergenerational. um, It's a project that comes across many, uh, many timelines. Yeah, so it's called Trust Kids Confronting Adult Supremacy and, well, stories on youth autonomy and confronting adult supremacy. 
Oh boy, it's really hard to pinpoint a moment. It's always so cool to have the privilege to reflect back in your past and you get to evoke where you are today on, on the past. Yeah, just feel free to talk about all of the things that inspired you in the process. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I've always had a problem with hierarchy and with authority. Um, it goes way back to when I was a little kid. I was definitely the kid who uh, stood up to teachers who bullied kids and other parents who, other adults who bullied kids, including my own. And obviously, it was meant with uh, not always a lot of kindness and often a lot of violence. So it's something that's always been kind of in me um, to be aware of adult supremacy. But really, it wasn't until I had my own child that I uh, had to really put the practice of um, youth autonomy and uh, thinking through adult supremacy in the everyday and every night. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if you feel comfortable sharing the age of your child or children. Yeah, so my oldest is 28 and my youngest is 18. The oldest is Zach, and the youngest is Uliam. Uh, Uli and I do a podcast, um, part of Channel Zero Network as well, called Grounded Futures. Very and cool. yeah, and Zach, both of them wrote for the book. Uli, wow. Uliam did their own chapter, their own section, and then Zach and I co-wrote a piece together. Yeah. So, for, oh man, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Zach and I. Um, Got and, and my partner, we got involved in alternative education and youth liberation kind of worlds. Um, we were lucky, really fortunate because we were a working class family and, and I, ha I got diagnosed with lupus. Like there was all these things that were <laughs> making it like, wow, how am I going to not send my kid to regular school? Um, but I was fortunate to live in a city where there's a, de was a it was like almost 48 years it ran, um, <clears throat> a democratic preschool that was publicly funded so that meant it was oh, free to cool. attend as well as a free school and it was parent participatory and it was you know it, it went through all different kinds of renditions and tried all different kinds of models and um but really at the center was yeah as they do <laughs> yeah and at the center was this idea of youth liberation and children self-directed sort of education styles. I, you know, through that, at the sort of core of all my work is this notion of solidarity, like how to think about this conversation of youth autonomy and undoing adult supremacy amidst and alongside all the other horrors of, of empire, whether it be um, ableism, racism, classism and whatnot. And um, I really noticed that a lot of kids, you know, they don't, a lot of families can't opt out of school and they can't actually do this. So I really wanted to move the conversation away from school or not school because um, it just marginalizes the, the work and become, it becomes siloed. And really it, adult supremacy is in, it's always in the room. It's, it's, it is like at the core it's at the center of all other oppressions. Uh, you know, we just keep replicating this horrible system by raising kids with internalized adult supremacy. And so... Yeah, that part of the uh, the subtitle really uh, stuck out to me, the adult supremacy part, which, uh, you know, sorry to interrupt you. No, Please go keep ahead. going, but I definitely want to dive more into that, into that adult yeah. supremacy discussion. Well, this, but. I mean, I, I, I think that this conversation, so I'm just going to really get really to the heart of it. So about 12, 13 years ago, 
I was or I was a co-director of a youth-run arts and activism space in Vancouver that was at the center was youth autonomy and radical politics and this intersectional uh, praxis of working alongside other struggles and being in solidarity with them. And um, I was really noticing <laughs> from other radicals that, you know, youth liberation, youth autonomy, children's rights, all that stuff was almost always left off of the the oppression chart or pie. And so I would bring it up and it would be like an afterthought and I would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah right, of course. And slowly, you know, we've seen that grow. However, um, what I noticed was I faced a lot of vitriol from a lot of radicals that I was uh, privileged, that I was privileging kids and like that, all this um, stuff. And I was like, wait a minute, like, you know who's privileged is like the middle class family who moves across town to the rich neighborhood to put their kid in the better school. Like, no, no, no. Like, let's nuance this a little bit. Like, so I came up with the phrase solidarity begins at home, which was really the orientation of this book to begin with. And if you follow it on AK Press, they often post about it, calling it solidarity begins at home, because I was really noticing that anti-authority uh, anti folks, particularly were like, except for with my children, I'm an authority. <laughs> and like, or, you know, oh, yeah. Carla and her weirdness being friends with her kids or whatever. Like, it just was just marginalizing the conversation when really the issue is adult supremacy. And, and you know, I'm just a curious person. So I'm like, why doesn't it resonate? Like, it's something we've all experienced at different degrees. Absolutely. This is a really uneven, white supremacist, colonial, racist, ableist world. But we've all experienced it. It's actually a place we could connect and have the, a more generative conversation. And yet it just keeps getting marginalized. And so I just really had to think about how to center it more. And um, so on the one hand, I'm saying solidarity begins at home, but I'm also decentering parenting in the conversation because I think like this is just so much bigger and beyond the like parenting Um it's everywhere that a young person encounters an adult, the adult supremacy world. Um, and it's everywhere. Like Nolika Radway, who wrote for the book, like, and she does um, Raising Rebels podcasts with her kids. Um, like they said, you know, adult supremacy is in every single room you're in. You can't, it's just like whiteness. You can't, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I didn't feel ready to write it. I always had a kind of, <laughs> what's the word? Like, I guess it's about consent. Like I really needed to have my kids full consent to talk about our life and to talk about this in a way that I wanted to, especially that framing yeah. of solidarity begins at home. So that's, that's the reason why I held off until I had their, you know, really their full consent and, you know, different people, different adults, different parents, different radical parents write about their kids in different ways. This isn't a judgment. This was just my own. Mm -hmm ethos with my kids right um so that's why it took <laughs> 12 years i just actually found a no uh, google doc from 2012 that said new book solidarity begins at home um <laughs> listen adults or something i was gonna call it <laughs> yeah yeah well it sounds like you not only have their consent but kind of their enthusiastic consent i mean mm -hmm. so they both you know wrote for yeah. participated in that which you know what a joy to be able to do that with them yeah, and my son, the oldest one, did the audiobook, which is really special. Oh, wow. That's yeah. really cool. 
Yeah. Um, I my daughter is eleven, mm. and we're firmly in that uh, tween phase right mm-hmm. now, where there's both mm-hmm. you know the child and the budding teenager that um, that show up in her, and it's a interesting age for sure. Um, and I just have the one, but I want to rewind slightly back to adult supremacy um, to get us on the same page here, and you know, what does that phrase mean to you? How do you define that? How do you see that in the world? Right. I mean, it's really, it's always evolving and changing the more I like learn and like explore and research and talk to people who are real nerds and researchers. Two of the folks who wrote for the book, uh, Toby Rolo and Stacy Patton, really do a deep, deep look at the history, the roots of adult supremacy. And so it, it's it's hard for me not to start there because it's like my mind is just kind of blowing. Um, you know, it really goes back to early colonization in the um, in Europe. You know, we hear we hear this from indigenous folks on, you know, on the lands we're both um, on that, you know, this is not how fa- people do kinship. This is not like the this kind of like patriarchal heteronormative uh, hierarchical family is not you know and that that that's not how it is and so way like like it goes way back this kind of um I don't even I can't even pinpoint it but it it definitely predates capitalism although like it you know it got more entrenched during capitalism to to have the house set up the way that the patriarchal family the way it was set up um the kids had to be subjugated from their parents and the patriarchal parent was being subjugated, but you know, the whole system of capitalism. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But it actually predates all that and it and it goes back to um, early colonization. Uh, and it was it was d- by design. Um, it was to uh, sow seeds of control, <laughs> distrust, and this idea that I think Toby calls it proto citizen, like that children aren't fully human. They don't have any rights. <laughs> you know. There's 13 states that still have paddle, like can, people can still paddle at, in schools in the U.S. I don't know if you know that. And Spain, you know, like you, you will, you get fined and go to jail if you if you beat your dog, but you won't if you beat your kid, as long as they can't see any bruises. Um, you know, so this is like it's ongoing. This idea that childhood is just a phase, you know, this kind of just creation of this thing that's like less than was by design. And it's become, you know, it got more entrenched through psychology, the whole, you know, we don't even need to go into that. But even eugenics, like early eugenics was practiced on children, kind of wayward children who were street involved and didn't have parents or were, you know, um, out of care kind of kids. They were sterilized first. Um, Stacey Patton is a doing a book right now on um, the history of lynching children in the South. And mm. she had to actually go to Europe to get to the root of it. And it was practice first on children there. So the killing. Emotionally, and, I don't think I could handle that kind of research. <laughs> yeah, me neither. And I, I just want to get, this is what I said. Like I didn't have all this information like a couple of years ago. And so this isn't where I would have started the conversation. However, I used to say like that this is a Western, Euro-Western colonial way of being in the world. And like the hatred of children, the of childhood and the 
and the um, violence against children is a, is a construct within colonization. I did know that, but um, I didn't realize how severe it was. <laughs> and but, so alongside the other horrific systems within colonization, um, I, I like to call it empire because it's like a hydra. It's all of it, capitalism, ableism, uh, ageism. Um, we're still, we're fighting all those battles still in youth. The problem with adult supremacy is that uh, it just keeps reinscribing itself because. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can see how it just, it's not, that's why I'm not really, I'm not a proponent of youth liberation as such. And why I talk about autonomy instead is because um, it's, it needs to be intersectional. It needs to be intergenerational. It needs to be, we have to undo adult supremacy. We can't just focus on doing youth liberation siloed over here because they grow into adults and then they become adult supremacists. Right. And like, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like it, it is one of, it has mobility (laughs) in terms of getting out of being the oppressed to becoming the oppressor. Um, Not unlike class. Um, if I'm understanding it, then adult supremacy uh, at its core. I didn't give you a definition. Is... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, let's see if let's see if I picked it up from that. <laughs> um, it's the idea that adults are all and always supreme to children mm-hmm. who are just going through a phase and. To some degree, it's acceptable to um, enforce that adult supremacy through violence. That's kind of what I picked yeah. up from. One of yeah, those and psychological that. violence, um, physical, like all kinds of. It, it is a violent act. It's a colonizing of the mind and soul and body, and um, yeah, like you know, the whole the whole idea is to prepare your kid for adulthood which is just ridiculous like they are a full human already that things need to be discovered and they you know like all of us guidance is important mentorship's important skill sharing is important presence is important love is important and ultimately care right yeah, they but they and they are fully human already. They are no less, no more. You know, some maybe. You know, whatever. It's just you know, it's relational. Yeah. But the idea of adult supremacy is children, child, children are underdeveloped. They're not fully human. They need to prepare for mm. this uh, ultimate adulthood, and that is the supreme okay. held, holding of what it means to be fully human is to be an adult. Yeah, and so if if I get it correctly parental supremacy is like within the bigger circle of adult supremacy, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I've always liked bell hooks this thing. She called, she called it the patriarchal family, you know, the patriarchal family. Like it didn't matter which gender you were or how you configurated your family, where if there's adults taking care of children, <laughs> it was a patriarchal family. And I really like that phrasing because I think that's a way to maybe um, push back against some of the, what happens with some of the feminist ideas around parenting that, you know, like a woman, you know, like a, you know, I'm talking more like I'm probably aging myself, but I'm doing more like the second, third wave of feminism where it -hmm. was, you know, more about their rights than it was their children's because they were so oppressed under the patriarch of the family or whatever. And yes. And, you know, bell hooks came along and was like, you're a patriarch too. 
with uh, within adult supremacy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, we talked about the, you know, physical, psychological abuse factor of um, that adult supremacy. I'm, I'm curious what other ways you would point out that it manifests itself in society, um, families and, you know, adults in general. And maybe there's some, you know, insidious ways that we don't even think of, you know, that wouldn't immediately come to mind that, yeah. you know, you could teach, teach me about here. <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere. Um you know, I, I'm not on the socials at all. I left fully back in the spring, but when I was, <laughs> I was constantly asking my fellow podcasters and journalists and thinkers and opinioners to please stop calling the most vile human beings on this earth, childish and children and toddlers. It's right there. You know, that is where it's at. Can you, oh, I, yeah. and then people would be like, what do you mean? I'd be like, change child to any other group, woman. And then their, their eyes, they're like, oh my God, I'd be canceled <laughs> if I called yeah. Trump a whiny woman or whatever. Yeah. Put any group in there, right? I don't really want to go down that road, but you, you know. I see what you mean saying. though, yeah. Yeah. So that's a one that I have to, we just actually, Grounded Futures just re-released it because it's not stopping. <laughs> like, right. Um, because, uh, so that's a really, really huge way. It's all the, it's all those biases, right? Those social biases. So like I mentioned earlier, I was the co-director of a youth run arts and activism space that was free to use. It had a lot of anarchist kind of ethos running around it. Um, it was co-founded. I was founded by six youth and Matt Hearn back in 2001. Um, and my son was on the, um, collective and, um, we did a lot of cool stuff, but it was incredible how many adult organizers would email me and see, ask if they could come in and give a workshop on how to run a space or how to run a collective. And I'd be like, I think y'all could come down and learn something a little here from this youth collective. <laughs> but that's like pretty, that's like a bias, right? Like, and mm -hmm. I, I was like, this is the most functional collective I've ever worked with. Like I, and I've been on a lot of collectives. Like I don't think age has anything to do with it. It's about like some other things going on around power. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, like I, yeah. So there's this idea that they were, it was flaky and that they didn't know what they were doing. And um, so that was an, just another by an ageist. Um, well, just it's, it's terrible. Yeah, I watch it just go down all the time. Uh, another story I used to, and I don't, I'm, I'm sure you have many. Um, my kid, when they were really, my youngest, when they were really little, and we'd go grocery shopping, and they were really good at picking out avocados and fruit. And um, one of the people working in the store, like, slapped their hand <laughs> um, and said, no, you know, I'll touch the fruit. I was like, first of all, don't ever touch my kid. Second of all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're better at it than me. You know, like I just, hmm. you know, like it's that kind of, that kind of like, like just, the person couldn't even, it was just so reflexive. They couldn't even imagine that this five-year-old knew what they were doing. Um, wow. It's stuff like that. It's just constant. It's just everywhere. Yeah. And I'm sure you, you can, you know, and I do it myself. And I want to say, because I know as I talk about this, it can come off like I haven't figured out. I, I, I confront my adult supremacy and particularly my power every single day in my relationship with my youngest, like every single day it comes up in, in <laughs> subtle and, and overt ways. Cause maybe I'm tired or, um, 
And the, the more we get, the more we uncover it, the more we see, <laughs> the more we get right. into the, like, um, the nuance of power, like the nuance of like persuasion that I have, like, you know, like that I hold, the more I'm like, dang it. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, there's another example I just thought of too that I think often crops up around this time of year with people visiting family so often. The um, the hugging example, um, you know, not not making your kid go hug somebody because he's oh you know hug me even if it's even if it's you the parent like hug me goodbye, you know, uh, you know don't make don't make your kids have that physical interaction with another human being. Thanks for bringing that up. It's like, it's so true. Like kids live, like especially little kids live a extremely non-consensual life um, from mm-hmm. bedtime to food to like touch, right? And everything in between. Um, and, you know, parent, you know, there's a lot of nuance in that conversation around parent, um, parenting and, um, but it's real, right? And, you know, people are always trying to do workshops on teaching consent and I'm always like, just gonna fail if you're not living it with your kids yeah like it's just gonna fail like it's so embodied like children just live such a non-consensual life um mm-hmm. in, in lots and lots of ways because of this because of adult supremacy so yeah thanks for bringing up getting right to the right to the point <laughs> and you know it's interesting because um thinking of parenting like my um sorry my my youngest goes is uliam but we often call him liam <laughs> um, that I do the podcast with. So he does a lot of the social media for Grounded Futures. And he often feels a bit gaslit by like kind of the algorithm that comes through that one around like radical parenting and anarchists and stuff around um, like on so-called holidays on, on how cool it's it's going with their kids and that. And because then they go on theirs where um, it's very much mostly trans and LGBT plus um, youth ranging from 16 to like 25 and um, all his friends and all his mutuals are in trauma on that day because of non-consensual hugs from having to mask from having from being um, misgendered from not being believed that they're trans or they can't even be or non-binary or whatever the whole gamut right and and I hadn't even really thought about like how algorithms work and I was like well that's really hard and he's saying I'm not saying that those radical things aren't happening that I'm seeing on ground of futures. It's just like you can get in your bubble and think everything's better. And then then you go to this other thing and you're like, ah, the youth are actually not doing well right now (laughs) overall in in our countries. Yeah. Yeah. I've um, often been told as a parent that um, I have raised a very rude child because, and I'm not going to try and pretend that I've been some sort of, perfect, you know, no supremacy, children autonomy kind of thing. I'm human. I'm not. I'm still working on it. But that was something that I noticed and chose to do differently early on in her life about not making her hug people or touch people or kiss people goodbye. And even, you know, not necessarily forcing her to say goodbye to somebody. You know, it's, I, I did a lot of giving her the option, you know, uh, we're going to leave now. Would you like to say goodbye to grandma or what have you? And so as she's gotten older, you know, some of those things that I didn't force her to do, she kind of didn't learn. And now she's old enough to where she understands politeness 
you know, and I can and I can suggest, you know, it's more polite in this situation to say goodbye to this person, you know, and she can still choose then how she wants to do it. She can understand the social dynamic of why she's making that choice. That's beautiful. But, um, yeah, you, you, get, you get accused of being a bad parent or a rude parent or, oh, or whatever because you don't force your kids to do these social things. I can't believe how many adults came through the thistle that would say, oh, the thistle, youth are rude. And I was like, you really have a hard time with like sharing your power, hey? Like I just would call it what I saw. Like actually what I saw was like you actually want to come in and have pe- kids like passively listen to you and be polite, so-called, you know, nice. Uh, but they're like, they're not buying what you're selling. And they're like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and you're thinking they're rude and entitled. Like I, I was like, this is what youth autonomy looks like. This is what sharing power looks like. This is what yeah. getting out of young people's way looks like. Yeah, I have a really similar thing with my kids. And I, my youngest, like, really cared about relationships to the point where, like, we've been unpacking this, where it was all overt, but they they took the social niceties on really young. Like, But they had it all figured out. They were like, at so-and-so's house, I have to, like, say please and thank you. At so-and-so's house, I get to eat whatever I want, but I'm not allowed to swear. And I just listen because I want to have these friendships. I was like, wow, that's really cool. And also, please don't ask. <laughs> right? yeah, isn't that so challenging? It's such a hard one. Yeah. yeah, and mine lives in two households that are, you know, very extreme opposites. Right. So the things she's allowed to say and do in this household are much more, you know, open and, and she's got a lot more autonomy and authority to right. do things. And then she has to, you know, in that house in order to fit in and not, you know, make waves, she feels like she has to, you know, dial that back and, and behave in certain ways. And that's right. hard to that's see. Hard. It's also practice for life. I mean, you know, until we deal with this, I mean, you know, it's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. At least for the world that we currently live in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, while we're talking about like the liberation of children, I am curious if you would like vision with me, what would relationships look like between parents and children or society and children if we were treating them in ways that were autonomous and, you know, honoring them as the human beings that they are? Oh, it'd be dreamy. (laughs) And here's why. Because everything would slow the F down like so much, like first and foremost, because there'd have to be a lot more listening, a lot more questions. And that I used to, um, I used to call it the friendship bar, uh, how I trained myself, (laughs) like supported myself in my learning and making mistakes with my youngest was like, um, and I, I think of John Holt, it's a John Holt quote, like, never, you know, never say to a young person what you wouldn't say to the person you hold in highest regard. Um, it's a really good bar. It really is. Yeah. It really is. It, I can't, you know, it's, you know, a lot of people throw quotes and people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't express it enough how much it has helped a lot of other fellow co-conspirators who want to undo adult supremacy when I share this with them. And they're like, right. You know, and I think we can do this with some of our closest friends, too, or some of our, you know, maybe if we have some hard times with a partner, like we can be a little bit more snarky with them than we would with somebody we hold in high regard. So, like, I mean, I think it's just a good practice across the board to, like, figure out what is the most generative 
you know, responsible, trusting way to come into relationship with anybody. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And one of the things we really strive for in our house is this notion of solidarity. My oldest said this on a talk about the book the other night, like, and I hadn't really, it was really nice to hear the feedback, but he's like, you know, it was always really transparent that this was the goal in our house, that we were in solidarity with each other. And this is why I use the term solidarity because, and you know, this changes based on their age because they can, you know, they're little bodies. They have little nervous systems and stuff. Right. But like, it's not, I'm not a child centered home either. I think that's where we can get into some weird in reinscribing individualism. We're very much a relationship centered home, no matter what the configuration is, even when we've had roommates and whatnot. And like, it's like just everything's transparent and slows down. Like, you know, like food. Yeah. All the conversations, bedtime, sleeping, um, care. I had I had a chronic illness for the big chunk of my children's life that's so pretty much healed, but that that involved a lot of solidarity and a lot of care going in all directions, right? Like I I used to joke that I parented from bed, um, <laughs> ha ha ha, but it was true, right? Um, so yeah, I I would like to hear some of your dreams, but like I just right away. There'd be a lot of listening, a lot of curiosity, a lot of play, a lot of tantrums, but we'd get to have them too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. The thing that stands out to me the most there is the thing about slowing down because mm-hmm. that is definitely such a huge difference. I notice, you know, between the way I would sometimes do things and my friends with children of the same age or what I see you know, now when I'm looking around at, at different parents and what they're doing that, yeah, you have to, you have to engage more with the child. It's not, there's the, the jacket debate, right. That you have with little kids cause they never want to put on a fucking jacket. And you have some parents that are like, well, they need this jacket and they're just going to shove their little bodies into it. And you know, they, they have the debate once and they're like, I'm not going to fight with a three-year-old about this jacket. And then they just force it onto their kid every time. Whereas, um, I mean, you can sit down and, and you talk about that more, you know, I, I think you should put on this jacket because this, or, you know, let's step outside and feel the cold outside and see if you change your mind. And, and then ultimately also having to honor what they land on, you know, the kid says, no, I'm not going to put on a jacket. That's, you know, it's a slower process. And then at the end, letting go of that final bit of, um, you know, authority or autonomy, like maybe you still take the jacket to school with them. You know, they have to carry it, perhaps, but you don't force them to put it on. But it is it is slower. So your life has to allow for time for that. And, you know, of course, under capitalism, the, the empires, you say, that we are in, it makes it so hard to do that. And then especially if you have multiple children that are maybe all small at the same time, you know, you've got three of them arguing with you about <laughs> maybe three different things all at once. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, and this is why I like trust kids. I just want to go on the record isn't a parenting handbook at all. Like if the essays are stories on youth autonomy, people, youth have written for it. Adults have written about their experience growing up in a youth liberation environment to um, more theoretical pieces. Um, but And then a lot about confronting adult supremacy. So it's a book for adults, for sure, and about us doing this work together. But it's not a parenting handbook because at the core for me, Um, Liam always says this on the podcast, like he's like, you know, 
people often ask my mom for advice and she's always like, I can't give you advice because I don't know your child and I don't know what they need. Like, have you asked them? Like, you just like, you know, that's my advice. Ask your kid. Um, I love the coat example because it's so, you know, like you're late, you have to pick up your, you know, you got to do the thing, you got to do all the things. And my kids are like the opposite. My oldest always overdresses and I used to always have to carry his coat halfway and then the other one's the other way. So I just, you know, it's back to like, I think what my sock said the other night on that call or that show, the episode or whatever we did, the public, the book launch at Firestorm was that it was always just really transparent. Like he never felt like confused, but what was happening. So I was just always really real. I'd be like, dude, <laughs> you always are hot within 10 minutes. Like, can you not wear like the thick coats? <laughs> like, oh my God. And, uh, Cause I don't physically can't carry it like I don't have enough strength so we need to like figure but that took time like that kind of negotiating conversation and being in solidarity with my physical body and not being able to carry the coat in 10 minutes in the walk and him like wanting to like pile on the three sweaters and the coat he's still like that (laughs) yeah Um, you know like it, it was like yeah yeah. yeah, as you just pointed out, there are times when, like, you're running late, mm-hmm. so you don't necessarily have the time to take to do that. And then, you know, you need to know for yourself as a parent, you know, what what you want to do in that situation, how you want to handle that. Do you want to be later and take the time to do it? You know, if you, you want to honor your principles to never shove this child into the jacket, you know, it's, it's uh, again, it's not, it's not easy. It takes or um, let them go without a jacket, (laughs) right? You know, let them experience it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I did. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She got cold sometimes. Yeah, and even me as a kid, like I, I, my, my, you know, so-called autonomy was also known as that word neglect. You know, so like no one around ever. (laughs) So I was like. I often in the winter would have like no socks on and I'd be running around in like a tank top and because I early years in Alberta, Northern Alberta and then down here on the Pacific Northwest, I had like thought it was like balmy warm, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, and so when my youngest was like, I don't like wearing like big coats and like as a kid who would run into the ocean at five in in December, I I was like, right, I was like that, you know, so it's back to that believing them when they tell you. You know, that's what trust really is, is believing people's experience and perspective. And when they say, I don't, I, I get hot, I get really hot. And you're like looking <laughs> at the temperature and you're like, oh, I feel like you're going to get cold, but you just got to let it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really difficult component. I'm curious, um, you know, how you would respond to somebody who, you know, maybe wants to point out that, well, you know, kids, um, they aren't good at looking that far ahead, right? Because their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. They're not going to be good at seeing that they are going to need this jacket down the line or, you know, whatever the the thing is um, that they, you know, maybe haven't developed the capacity to comprehend. Right. Right. And that would be I mean, maybe their argument for why you have to, have to, air quotes, force them into the jacket. I mean, again, you- just, yeah. I mean, again, just being, I mean, it's, uh, I like this convert. I like this example because it's not life and death, <laughs> but it's like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, the compromise is that I need you to like throw a, an extra coat in your backpack or I'm going to carry one. I, you know, this is what care looks like. I'm going, you know, we're going to be together. So I'm going to throw um, an extra coat in the, in the car 
um, you don't have to wear it or whatever. Like, I just think just being real, like back to what I said earlier about like, how would I, how would I, uh, talk to my partner about this who was who's mm-hmm. being ridiculous about in my opinion they're like it would be like what are you doing like it's like snowing and super yeah. cold and you are wearing us just like a hoodie um you know we would just have a real conversation about you know maybe some humor infuse it with some humor <laughs> um but yeah when they're really really little like I mean, you know, I definitely, when you have like two kids, like I would have to pick up my oldest from wherever he was, um, you know, at 11 years old across town. And then, and the youngest at two doesn't want to like leave where they they didn't like transitions. So didn't want to leave the park and whatever. It's like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a a lot of tears and it's (laughs) just like, what I got good at was realizing that, oh, he needs like really clear messaging, like 10 minutes before, eight minutes before, five minutes before. And then they stopped like the, the tears, he, like, he just, I had to like cipher it, decipher it, you know, mm-hmm. I could be like, oh, okay. Right. Cause you know, he was just so in the moment, so present, um, which is also what I think the world would be like if we had less, adult supremacy or none would be we'd all be way more present with each other and uh, maybe wouldn't worry so much about wearing the extra coat because life wouldn't be so yeah so serious yeah that makes sense another thing I was curious about is um, you know we're in we're we're in the end times now sort of you know we're seeing the the collapse of capitalism a, a re-rise of fascism you know societal crumbles there's uh, kind of a lot going on and um do you feel like i mean this topic of adult supremacy is is uh probably always important but is it more important now that we're in these you know sort of end times does it do we need that even more as society collapses or i'm just curious what you Right. See what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, I think like I think I would pivot just a slight pivot because um, it's what I'm, I'm. And I mean, the book. People who have read the book really do notice that the book has an intergenerational scope throughout it. Is that yeah? We need like we need to uh, recover, reimagine, and um, grow what the, it means to be in family and in kinship together. Like we need larger family. Like we wouldn't be. Even the, the story about the coat and that would be so much more manageable if we lived in a more multi-generational, larger community, right, in the way we're meant to live. So, And that is connected to adult supremacy because the nuclear fa- – it's all connected around, like, controlling, subjugating majority of the population so that people could profit more, right, or have more land, whether, you know, predates – really does predate capitalism. So um, – Yes, I think that, uh, you know, to quote Donna Haraway, making kin is the single most important thing we need to be doing right now. But we need to think about that across species, across bloodline, beyond bloodlines, and way beyond borders. <laughs> and for it's like it, it, we need it for our survival and ultimately to thrive more. Um, I, I thrive way more when there's way more um, other humans around all ages <laughs> um, sharing the load of whatever it is like 
nerding out together, doing a puzzle, playing, cooking, cleaning, doing work, making income, you know, sharing the, <laughs> sharing, sharing the load, sharing the joys. I think it's really connected to um, the end times that it's more urgent than ever. Um, but it's, it's a reclaiming, you know, it's a recovery. It's not a, a you, we don't have to imagine it. It's, we know how to do it. You know, and it's connected to mutual aid and webs of care and all that good stuff. But it's, you know, like I, I live in a city, so I don't have to prep, prep, you know, I don't have, I don't live off in the boonie, you know, I don't have to worry about having a generator and stuff. And I think like, <laughs> if, um, you know, I'd like to think of myself more like mycelium, like if a disaster strikes, I'm going to be like mycelium, I'm just going to go and offer support and care and, um, and there's going to be plenty and people are going to show up. Because we know that in disasters, right? Um, mm -hmm. But if we had more, uh, just more multi-generational, multi-species kin and families, that would even be better. <laughs> that, I yeah. don't know if that answered your question, but uh, yes, you know, I want I want to abolish adult supremacy from day one. I think it's always been a terrible thing. It's had definitely had times when it was worse um, for some kids more than others still is worse for some kids more than others but yes it's yeah no I, to, like, I see how that webs um, yeah yeah how that ties into you know what we need with the collapse of society here the um collectivism and the the broader webs of kinship are important and eliminating adult supremacy is going to be have to be part of that um, I, and I really like the way you frame that there that it's um we're not building this new thing we're going back to you know, uh, what we used to, and really, I think, fundamentally how we're wired as well. You know, the research indicates we are very wired for community and kinship and connection and all of that. So it's getting back to our truer selves to be, um, to be together in those ways. And then that does lead me into kind of the last uh, broad topic that I wanted to uh, consider with you, which is, you know, you and I are both parents, so we can talk about our experiences and what we need and so forth. But for people who aren't parents, don't have kids of their own that want to support their friends who are parents and, um, you know, help, you know, revolutionize parenting here and, and, and this adult supremacy and, and build the kinship. What, uh, you know, what kind of things would you say to them that would be, um, what can they do to help? What the, can they do to to learn more um, and to help help build that as the non-parent? Yeah, I think if you feel, um, well, first of all, do your own work on undoing your adult supremacy and like really go deep into like all the places, like you're probably really, every adult out there has dealt with it. And so you probably have some internalized adult supremacy and some trauma and hurt around it and different degrees, varying degrees. Um, so first and foremost, like just look at it look at it um notice how you show up for young people if if you are in young people's lives um and you know listen more just listen more just listen way way more to young people um i think like you know when parents write about this topic there's this like paradox of centering ourselves um it's like you know but this is this is one of the reasons why i didn't want to do the book for a long time but i was up for it i was up for it because it's important um 
And I intentionally invite, I intentionally invited in a lot of, lot of people who aren't parents to write for the book because I think Mm. it's really crucial. We cannot do this alone as the parents. Like we just can't. Like we need everybody. We need everybody on this, like undo this massive, massive like bias. It is still one of the largest ones that's ignored. I am really rare. We are really rare. I'm not talking about radical parenting here. I'm talking about people who notice adult supremacy and like point it out. Like it's a small, isolating community. Um, I often feel really alone. I feel really gaslit. Um, I have a crew of people we talk, uh, live globally, thank unfortunately, but it's just how it is. Like I'm talking about this nuance of like noticing adult supremacy I have a lot of yeah. people who do radical parenting. I know a lot of people who are into revolutionary mothering. I know a lot of people who are into like school abol- abolition and um, radical education, pedagogy stuff and youth liberation, but not all of them connect to this larger systemic piece. Um, yeah. It's and- kind of a Venn diagram that some of those overlap into it, but they're not fully. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just ask more people to really tune into it. Notice it. Notice, call it out when you see it. It's all the freaking time. Like, you know, the other, um, you know, uh, disability justice activists and organizers and their allies have done a, such a great job of changing the use of those words in media to describe the horrors and the vile people. But there's two that still really are uh, used constantly, and one is sanism, like so calling someone like Trump insane is just an insult to anybody who has madness. Yeah. And because, like, I don't know about you, but the mad folks in my life are nothing like Trump. (laughs) And the, like, uh, yeah, some pathos going on for sure, but, like, (laughs) you know. And then the other one is, you know, the child, childish toddler. And just call, you know, just call, ask people to stop, to not do it. And comedians are the worst. And I, you know, the other one is, I guess, you know, I mean, it's still okay for comedians to make, to uh, not be so great about body politics, especially fat politics, like our fat body stuff, shaming, like that one still can pass a little bit. But it's, it's also getting more people are, you know, due to organizers and activists and those of us who push back against that. Um, but the children one is the big one, sanism and, and childism and um, are the two. So if you're a, a fellow adult out there, a person who is not a young person uh, and you're on the socials and you have a platform, Join, 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 join us in inviting uh, <laughs> folks to stop doing that. Because, you know, my kid, like, he was like, four, I don't know, what it was, uh, like 15 or something when Trump was first on the presidency stuff. And he was noticing it all the time. And he's like, those, every adult who calls him a child or a childist in front of their kids, their kids must like internalize some hatred. Like they must look at Trump, look at their parent. Look at Trump, look at their parents yeah. and go, wow, my parents calling this really awful, evil person that they clearly hate a child. They must yeah. hate me too. Yeah. I was like, thank you for saying it. that. Like my, just my brain went, <laughs> right. Like that is like, ouch. Like I cried. It was so hard to hear that like, and you know, he was 14 at the time and he, he that's what he saw or 12 or something. And I was like, right, you're right. Yeah. 
I don't think it's intentional. I don't think the parent doing that is thinking they're doing that. Of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, if someone were to replace it with a word like immature, do you think that still has the um, yeah, same connotation and problem? <laughs> okay. Yeah, Good. I have a, I can share. I We, ch- we put it up. I was telling you, we put it up. I, I, I used to, um, I have, it's called trying to find a way to describe a billionaire, a politician, a fascist. Here's a list of words to use instead of calling them a child, toddler, or childish. And because we really worked on not being, using sanest um, language as well. So careless, mean, rash, hot-headed, impotent. Um, I have a speech impediment, so sometimes I can't say words. Um, for me. <laughs> Manip- I have a speech apraxia. Um, manipulative, entitled, jerk, foolish, impulsive, irresponsible, imprudent, ill-advised, greedy, violent, liar, asshole, shitbag, racist, fascist, reckless, ridiculous. And there's so many more, <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. just say what you mean. What do you, you know, I had friends go, but, you know, I don't know what to say. I'm like, well, what are you trying to get at? Like, oh, I'm trying to say that they're like a jerk. I'm like, just call them a jerk. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> you know? Shitbag is a pretty good one too. Oh, Shitbag's like my favorite. Yeah, it's like it's the good one. Um, let's try it. <laughs> yeah, there's but, um, you know there's an activist yeah. here in town where I live that is very conscious of um, ableist language, and including like mental health things. So like the words sane or insane, um, mm-hmm. for instance. But also some of the ones that go along with that, like crazy. I think maybe. Yeah. F- Foolish might be in there. Um, and I was in a, I think a Facebook group with them. And if someone would use one of those words, they would, um, they had kind of a little template that they would say is, you know, you know, here's this word that you chose to use. Here's a little bit of like where it comes from or like what, you know, the, the sort of negative history of it. And then here's a list of like antonyms that are not, you know, ableist or sexist or, you know, body shaming or et cetera, et cetera, that you could use instead of that word. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Do they also um, point out childism? <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't remember that one. But, but um, this, what you were just saying there, like I hadn't thought about childish as being one of those words. I don't think I use it a lot in general. But you know, I'm going to add that to my vocabulary yeah, of like, things too. Or they'll like the sniveling little baby. <laughs> like they do that a lot, right? Like uh, comedians yeah. and. Um, sort of YouTubers and stuff that are talking about, you know, the ruling class. <laughs> um, so yeah. that, you know, you can call them whiny well, without having to say whiny baby. Yeah. You can just you know, say like, they're so they're like whiny. punching up and punching down at the exact same time with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, um, definitely go after those who are horrible fascists and racist, you know, but just, yeah. and, just and stop I, you calling know, them children <laughs> and toddlers yeah. and um, yeah. Yeah. No, I really like that, uh, you know, uh, um, the the fellow that, um, you know, did all the work, does all the work to point out the ableist language, you know, definitely had got me thinking in the last couple of years about mm-hmm. other words that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. tie back to something like that. And so I'm, I'm you know, glad that you shared, mm-hmm. you know, this additional language yeah. that then I can work on and be aware of and um, improve. Yeah, it's all, and it's so. always, we're always working on it and learning and, you know, like I, the ableist language stuff you know I remember it really came into the fore around 2009 2010 like it really you know in Mm. radical communities like we were really aware of um first the more physical ableist stuff and then it moved into body mind but I still saw the Mm -hmm. sanism stuff like 
you know, it still was okay to call someone like Trump insane. Um, like maybe not crazy, but you could call him insane. Um, so I've been also yeah. being loud about that one as well. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where my question came from about, you know, well, could I just call him immature instead? I figured that was going to be a no, but I'm gl really glad you had that list to share. And um, I might see yeah. that maybe you could email that list and I could see if we can get sure. that posted up and it's on, our on at Grounded Futures. We're on both Twitter and Instagram, at, just at Grounded Futures. Um, it's a platform, multi alt art platform um, created by uh, youth and women and gender nonconforming folks. Cool. Well, while you're plugging things, are there <laughs> other uh, things that you want to plug? Obviously, your book, you got to replug that for us. Yeah, you can get Trust Kids um, over at AK Press or wherever you buy books. And there's an audiobook and a, and a Kindle or whatever it is. And I also have a project called Listening House Media, where we do we do mostly audiobooks, but we also publish Pamph political pamphlets called lowercase so you can check that out listeninghousemedia.com um doing the audiobook for my other book called joyful militancy uh right now which is really exciting i just want to put that out there because i know people wanted it to be an audiobook since it came out five years ago and so that's really exciting is that also available from ak yeah it will probably be out until like january february but okay yeah yeah and then groundedfutures.com is where you can find a lot of my other works. Yeah. Great. Well, Carla, yeah. I really appreciate you um, being on the pod today and um, talking with us about uh, parenting and um, ending adult supremacy. To our listeners, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please give it a like, drop a comment or a review, subscribe to us if you haven't already, these things make the algorithms that rule our world offer our show to more people. This podcast is produced by the anarchist publishing collective Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. You can connect with us on Twitter at Tangled Wild and also on Instagram. If you check out our website, tangledwilderness.org, you'll discover we have a new book available for pre-order. It's called Escape from Incel Island, written by the one and only Margaret Gildroy. If you pre-order it now, you get a color poster with your copy when they ship in February. The work of strangers is made entirely possible by our Patreon supporters. Honestly, we couldn't do any of it without your help. So if you want to become a supporter, check out patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. Yes, it's a long one. Um, that's patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. Um, there are cool benefits at various support tiers. Um, for instance, if you support the collective at $10 a month, one of your benefits is getting 40% off of everything on our website, including if you want to pre-order Margaret's new book. And we'd like to give a specific shout out to some of our most supportive Patreon supporters, including Hoss the Dog, Micaiah, Chris, Sam, Kirk, Eleanor, Jennifer, Starro, Cat J, Chelsea, Dana, David, Nicole, Mickey, Paige, SJ, Sean, Hunter, Theo, Boise Mutual Aid, Melissa, Papa Runa, and Allie. Thanks so much for listening.